Welcome to today's episode of Just a Thought. I'm your host, Jason Modar. So today is going to be a follow-up to a video and episode that I did a few days ago entitled, I believe, Mr. Phil Vischer, Homosexuality and Christian Compromise. So if you want more context, go watch that video. I'll put a link in the description box if you're interested in doing that. I think you can pretty much understand, though, what I'm about to say in today's video. So before I reference that video specifically and make the comments that I want to make, a little bit of background information. So right now I am listening on audio to A Justice Primer written by Doug Wilson and Randy Booth. Doug Wilson, big fan of him, one of my favorite authors, and Randy Booth actually happens to be my pastor. And it's their book about biblical justice. What is justice and how do we adjudicate in the civil realm, at home, in the church? It's just a really excellent treatise on what the concept of biblical justice is. So I just recently listened to, or I'm actually in the middle of listening to their chapter on motives and on how we ascribe motives both rightly and wrongly. And part of the process of getting justice, of making sure that justice is served, is making sure that we ascribe the right kind of motives to people and that we're not ascribing wrong motives. So one of the things that they discuss, and that's really helpful to understand why people ascribe the kind of motives they do, is this idea of how our brains fill in the gaps in narratives and an understanding of certain situations naturally. So for instance, as it relates to motives, if something happens between you and another person and you don't know exactly what motivated them, what caused them to perform that particular action against you or say that thing that they said to you, your brain will naturally fill in the gaps and put into place whatever makes sense to fill out the narrative. So let me give you a couple of examples. So let's say that a wife goes and attempts to have a discussion with her husband and she's wanting to talk to him about any particular subject. And all she gets from him is one or two word answers. He really doesn't seem that interested. And she walks away from that without any further information. So just the facts of the situation are she went to talk to her husband and she didn't get much of a conversation out of him or reaction from him. She could walk away from that and her brain might fill in the gaps of, oh, he's mad at me. Why Why doesn't he care about me? Why didn't he listen to me? Doesn't he like talking to me? And meanwhile, while that could potentially be the motive behind why he wasn't as interested in the conversation as she was. He could have been in the middle of tinkering with something. He could have just been lost in thought. He may have been reading a book or whatever the case may be. His mind just may have been elsewhere, and he was perhaps subconsciously, mostly subconsciously or absentmindedly responding to her while his mind was still on whatever it was that it was on previously before his wife came and talked to him. So it has nothing to do with him not loving her or caring about her or being interested in her and everything to do with the fact that he was just simply distracted by something else. Uh, Another situation that Doug and Randy discuss in the book is, so if somebody steals your car, you're going to be quick to ascribe negative motives to that person. There's some sort of a dirty, evil, criminal they envy you, they don't like the fact that you have that car or they want your car. It's gonna be real you're gonna be really quick to ascribe those kinds of negative motives to a thief of your vehicle. What you very likely would not do 
was ascribed the following kind of motive. Well, you know, maybe he his car was out of gas and his wife was pregnant and she was in labor and she had to get him to the hospital as soon as possible and my car was the nearest one, so he stole it and perhaps he even intends to return it. He just needed to get his wife to the hospital. We would very likely never ever in a million years ascribe those kinds of motives. And then another situation actually happened to me earlier today. So we're about to get hit with a, a winter storm uh, here in Texas, and it's going to be really, really cold. I think for us, it's going to get down into the low teens, and the highs are going to be in the 20s and 30s for a few days. And I know for some of you, that's you're thinking to yourself, hey, that's our, that's our Halloween, as one colleague of mine put it when I was talking about this storm that was winter storm that was coming through but either way that's really cold for us and I was talking to my wife I said hey I would like to go running at some time today because this is gonna be the last day where we have relatively warm weather and I'm not gonna be able to really run again for the next few days because as much as I like running and as much as I like to exercise I am not so hardcore as to go running when it's 17 degrees outside or even when it's 27 degrees outside I am just not that into exercise and that into running and she said to me jokingly, well, maybe this is your body's survival instinct wanting to hold on to whatever fat you have because it knows that cold weather's coming. And I thought that that was funny. Now, it would have been really easy for me to ascribe negative motives to that. Well, you think I'm fat? What are you trying to say? You don't like my body? You think I'm ugly? Are you not attracted to me anymore? It would have been really easy for my mind to fill in the gaps of, well, why, why did she say that? Why did she make that comment about me? Well, she was joking. To me, it was obvious that she was joking. She wasn't trying to make some sort of critical comment about how fat I was, nor was she trying to make some sort of statement about human biology and human psychology and wanting to store fat because cold weather's coming. She was just making a, a silly joke, and I appreciated it as such. Now, all of that to say that typically we are prone to ascribe negative motives to people who we are adversarial with. That's not the only people we do it to, but typically if we're adversarial with somebody, it's going to be really easy for us to fill in the gaps as to why they did something by ascribing negative motives to them. Now, I want to apply the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I certainly wouldn't want that done to me by my adversaries or by anybody for that matter. So I ought not do that to my adversaries or anybody else for that matter. That's not a way to seek biblical justice and a way biblically to get at the truth of a matter. And that's just taking the facts and <clears throat> allowing them to create and form a narrative that may be true, but you don't know for sure whether or not the narrative is that your brain is concocting for you is true. And all of that to say that that's how I treated Phil Vischer a little bit in my video. So, and I should repent of that. I should repent of the fact that I ascribed negative motives to Phil in the last video when I ought not have. So, uh, in particular, when I was commenting on his not directly answering a question that was posed to him about whether or not a certain scenario involving homosexual activity was sinful, it's a clear and obvious yes, but I, I said things like, well, he has a mostly progressive audience, so perhaps he wanted to placate to them, or perhaps he has his own progressive views that he was not wanting to have made completely public yet. I even at one point went so far as to suggest that perhaps he was, if there was cowardice involved. Now, those things may be true, and they may have played a role, but I don't know that for sure. So I shouldn't have said that about Phil. 
I shouldn't have ascribed those motives to him. That was not fair. Now, I stand by just about everything else in that video. Phil should have answered the question that was posed to him with a yes. That homosexual activity absolutely is sinful. And what I said about side A and side B Christianity being unbiblical, I stand by. Side A and side B Christianity are dangerous in that they lead homosexuals, Christian or otherwise, to believe things that are false about the scriptures and that are false about sin. They are calling something that is evil good. And the scriptures say, woe to those who do such things. So that's pretty much what I wanted to say in regards to the follow-up of that video. When I ascribe those motives to Phil that may or may not be true, I don't know for sure whether or not that was what motivated him to say that. I would need more information, perhaps something from Phil himself that he say, states after the fact or that he stated previously. Basically, didn't have the necessary information to make that kind of accusation against Phil, and that was not right. Now, everything else, again, I said in the video, I certainly and without any sort of hesitation, stand by. So thanks so much for swinging by and checking out today's episode. We will see y'all next time, very likely after Christmas. Merry Christmas, and God bless.